Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Monday. It's March 27th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I find myself saying this quite frequently here on a Monday. Wow, we had a fun weekend of sports action and plenty to get into and plenty to discuss. And of course, we now have the final four teams set. We also have some news regarding Lamar Jackson from this morning, putting uh, John Harbaugh in quite a little peculiar situation as uh, the, the NFL is here in Arizona for league meetings and owners meetings. So we'll dive into all of this, plus your phone calls as well. 602-260-1060, around 10 30 and 11:15 today but let's get things started with the poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question was san diego states darian trammell fouled with 1.2 seconds remaining against creighton and we've had quite a shift here from earlier in the sports zone no leading the way now at 57 percent of the vote yes at 43 percent yeah, it was obviously a controversial call uh, at the end of the game. And, uh, you know, the Creighton went out of their way to lose the game long before that, in my opinion. But I'm sure we'll get to that in some more detail eventually here. We definitely will. We'll answer that question around 1130 today. We'll toss it on over now to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, the Phoenix Suns. They play tonight in Utah. I hear it snowing in Utah, so I'm looking outside, excited to see the sun instead. But the Suns, have they have they weathered the so-called storm with this week's return of DeAndre Ayton and Kevin Durant? Reports are that DeAndre Ayton is probable for tonight's game. Other reports indicating that Kevin Durant returns on Wednesday. Yes. Leading the way at 58.3% of the vote, no trailing at 41.7%. Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, the Jazz listed four players as out yesterday. I mean, that can change uh, today. We'll see if that happens or not because we've seen plenty of players listed as out or whatever the day before, and there's been a change before game time the next day. Uh, but uh, it, you know, the Suns are you know, large favorites. Uh, on the road tonight uh, with Aiton returning and uh, with without you know the other the other uh, available players let's put it that way there's also something else that's just about on the horizon and that's the start of MLB regular season the Diamondbacks they start their season on the road so when they open things up at Chase Field it will be April 6th through 9th the D-backs will face the Dodgers during their opening weekend series and it will be a busy weekend with an opening day street festival on Thursday April 6th post game fireworks on Friday April 7th so you can kick off the new season and secure your tickets by going to dbacks.com/tickets 
tickets. And we are delivering tickets for you to April 6th game. A couple of different ways for you to win. You can download the KDOS app and follow the instructions on the app in how to be eligible. Or you could be the day's lucky caller for a pair of tickets. So a couple of different ways to get yourself eligible for the start of the D-backs regular season. Not yet ready for calls. This year's March Madness, though, has made some history. Number one seeds were in the Elite Eight. There were no number one seeds in the Elite Eight. And now, headed to the Final Four, the best-ranked team is UConn, which is a four seed. So you'll have Miami as a five seed, San Diego State as a five seed, and Florida Atlantic as a nine seed. There are some tidbits here with no blue bloods. Florida Atlantic has never had an NCAA tournament win prior to this run. UConn is looking for their fifth national title since 1999 and the first since 2014. Miami can win its first NCAA title and in a year that they did win the ACC regular season title and San Diego State has made its first Final Four appearance and seeking its first national title. I will add, however, that all four of these teams were ranked in the final regular season uh, you know, human poll, uh, polls. Uh, so they were, you know, they didn't come completely out of nowhere. Uh, so at least somebody thought uh, the the media or and or coaches both had them in their polls at the end of the regular season. All four teams. Yeah, and you know, for UConn to be a four seed, you kind of look at that lull that they had in the middle of the year. Uh, and uh, Danny Hurley was uh, on with CBS uh, during one of the the halftime interviews, and he was talking about it that he spent too much time complaining to the referees, and that was their reason for them kind of falling off. And he stopped doing that, and they started to play a little bit better. So uh, interesting comments there from here from him. But let's see how in which we got here. Florida Atlantic was taken on Kansas State over the weekend. Florida Atlantic 79, Kansas State 76. 4K State, Marquise Noel, 30 points, 12 assists. Keontae Johnson fouled out. He only played 18 minutes with nine points. Florida Atlantic's John L. Davis, 13 points, eight rebounds, six assists. And Florida Atlantic feasted on the boards 44 to 22, including a 14 to 5 offensive board edge. That part wasn't surprising. Yeah, I mentioned uh, last week a couple of times that they led Conference USA in rebounding, and they certainly you know, had a size advantage in this game. And I think the biggest key to this game was the you know, Johnson only played 18 minutes, ended up with nine points and two rebounds. He fouled out. They certainly missed him on the final possession of the game when they didn't even get a shot off. Uh, so, you know, I think that that was uh, the biggest thing that happened in this game. Uh, you also have, this is kind of interesting as well when you think about Florida Atlantic here. The Owls have now won 35 th- games this season. So they're, they're finding ways to continue to win ball games and, and doing it in a variety of different ways. Yeah, once again, just kind of uh, piggybacking off of last week. You know, they've got a lot of good players, and uh, they're really young, uh, and they, they only have one guy that's really a senior that plays. they got nine guys who they play a lot, however, and that certainly, I think, helped them in this game against Kansas State, which is and like a lot of teams in a tournament, including teams currently playing. A couple of teams are a little shy on depth, and uh, you know, actually, I think most of the teams that are shy on depth got eliminated over the weekend, but... Yeah, certainly I think that this played a role on uh, in this game on Saturday that FAU is it was certainly a deep deeper team than Kansas State. UConn completely dominated Gonzaga 82 to 54. UConn's 
This is quite interesting. UConn's smallest margin of victory in the tournament so far is 15 points. It ended up being a 28-point win for them in the Elite Eight, which is the largest margin of victory in this round since 1992. For the game numbers, Sonogo was just 3 of 11 for 10 points and 10 boards, but Jordan Hawkins, 6 of 15 for 20 points. Gonzaga's Drew Timmy was limited to 5 of 14, 12 points, 10 rebounds, and the Sweet 16 hero Strother was 4 of, five, 4 of 15 for 11 points. You know, obviously, Timmy had foul problems. I think the biggest thing in this game is that UConn, which uh, doesn't always make shots, they had a 33-6 to scoring advantage from behind the arc. That was the differential. Uh, and uh, you know, Sonogo also, your guy, uh, guy, had some amazing you – know, his passing skills are you – know, he like, got no assists uh, in his previous couple of years. He had six assists in this game as, uh, you know, as basically uh, – Gonzaga tried to double team him, and we've mentioned for you know a couple years now that Timmy's just a horrendous defender, and uh, so they we knew he wasn't going to try to defend Sonogo. And then uh, you know they did a good job getting Timmy in some screen rolls, and a couple of his fouls came in that situation, and he just complete seemed to be completely lost on a few of the double teams, and uh, he ended up getting into massive foul problems and. Really, just the the, uh, the end of the first half and the start of the second half, you know, the, basically that's when Connecticut blew this open. They went on a 22 to five run. This game, they had a 36-32 lead, and uh, almost the next thing you knew, you know, like you know, first TV timeout in the second half, they go from up 36-32 to up 58 to 37. A couple of questions here for you. Was this a combination of what we've been saying this whole time, that this isn't the Gonzaga team of old, and so it finally kind of caught up to them a bit, in addition to maybe they gave it absolutely everything they had in order to beat UCLA just a few days prior? Say everything. Combine all of that. I mean, this is certainly not a Gonzaga team uh, that we've seen. Uh, certainly the guard play, and that's something we've talked about for much of the season. And Gonzaga might have fooled some people at some point towards the end of the WCC campaign when they beat St. Mary's a couple of times. You know, obviously Connecticut also beat St. Mary's in this tournament. Uh, but uh, you know that and there's no doubt that the fact that you know Connecticut cruised. Uh, you know, last Thursday night in Gonzaga and UCLA were pushed to the brink. I think that that played a role on Saturday also. And, you know, Connecticut's now won 13 out of 14, and they're undefeated in non-conference games this season. They haven't lost to a team other than Big East opponents. So a question you mentioned here about how dominant UConn has been. Do you see this as being an issue as we get into the Final Four and if they make it past the Final Four in the championship game? Because they really haven't been tested. They haven't been pushed. They were pushed plenty when they were in the Big East, so I don't think that's an issue at all. Sunday's matchups here, San Diego State University 57, Creighton 56. Controversy in this one, Ryan Nemhard fouled Darian Trammell with 1.2 seconds to go. Trammell hit one of two from the line. Let's start with the numbers, though. Nemhard, three of eight for seven points. Ryan Kalkbrenner, eight of 17 for 17 points. Creighton, no bench points, just two of 17 from three, whereas SDSU was led by Lamont Butler's eight of 11 for 18 points. SDSU 12 bench points and also just three of 13 from three both teams had 37 rebounds but sdsu had 13 to creighton's nine 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that happened in this game, quite frankly, at least uh, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but yeah, Creighton missed a ton of shots at the rim. You know, look, good looks at the rim. You know, almost, you know, there's not many bad looks when you get to the rim, but, you know, that, I think that was, you know, you know, I think that was the biggest difference in this game. They just made like a third of those shots. Uh, you know, they don't have any issues at the end. I don't think there's any doubt also that, uh, you know, Creighton, which doesn't play you know, more than six guys at this point, they wore down in this game and they got outscored certainly in the second half. And also San Diego State, uh, as far as, you know, dominated the paint, 50, uh, 40 to 28 in this game. And I guess largely because, you know, Creighton just missed a lot of easy shots and shots that they usually make. And uh, Creighton also didn't make threes. They were two for 17, so they weren't making layups and they couldn't hit threes. Was this ugly offense or superb defense? Uh, I'm going to go ugly offense. Uh, go, go go back to the Creighton thing. They did, they had a lot of opportunities. They just missed shots. Uh yeah, you know, they had open threes and missed them. Uh, yeah, they had more. I think they had more actually open looks at the rim and missed them than they did threes. Because San Diego State in this tournament and all season long has been a tremendous team, taking away the uh, you know basically the three point line from their better opponents that they faced. And you know, there's a you know, I don't have the number handy right now, but uh, they've done an amazing job in the four games of the tournament so far against uh, teams you know from behind the arc it's been just a ridiculously low percentage uh another question here for you about Kalkbrenner and you mentioned Actually, I do have it I'm sorry real fast there's opponent the four opponents they faced behind the arc four games 16 of 94 so far that's not good I mean that's good for the good defense for but State. terrible on yeah. the offensive side of the of things here that's uh, true so uh, you you mentioned missing easy buckets for Creighton. Uh, Kolkbrenner was one of those players that was missing some easy buckets right there. In general, what do you make about Kolkbrenner's game? I think he's a really good defensive player. I don't think he has uh, his offense needs to get better. He needs to get stronger, which is the reason he missed a couple of those shots. And it's not. Uh, unusual if you watch Creighton, uh, you know, kind of pick out a lot of games. Uh, he's not a good offensive player. Uh, he has you know, certainly some skills, but uh, he needs to get stronger. And uh, he, he's he's a really good defender. And I know that they pointed out several times over the uh, last few games uh, that they've been playing. And I agree with them 100%. He's a the fact that he doesn't foul, they don't foul. In fact, they had the fewest fouls of anybody in this tournament heading into the tournament of anybody. 68 teams, fewest fouls per game. And a lot of it has to do with his you know, not you know, fail, fouling, and he still is a you know, shot-blocking presence in there, and he does a really good job at that. But uh, he needs to definitely get better at the offensive end of the floor. Creighton going home, San Diego State moving on, and we go to the final game from yesterday was Miami and Texas. Miami 88, Texas 81. Texas stops scoring. Uh, so this is quite a breakdown here. So Texas had 64 points with 13.30 to play in the game. They reached 65 points on a Timmy Allen foul shot with 12.08 to go. Then they reached 66 and 67 points on a Timmy Allen foul shots uh, with 10.14 to go. Then they reached 68 points with Timmy Allen foul shot with 9.44 to go. It wasn't until Dylan Mitchell made a dunk at 8.55. So you go from 13.30 
8.30 to 8.55 in this game between field goals made from the the floor. So uh, this is certainly not a great recipe for trying to win the ball game when you go this long without scoring. To me, it was the other end of the floor. Um, you know, this game had almost no fouls in the first half. You know, there were two long, long, long you know, uh, uh, segments because there weren't even any television timeouts because there were no whistles because uh, there were no fouls in the first half. Second half, Texas just fouled way too often. Miami was in the double bonus with 10 minutes to go in the game. And Miami made 25 of 27 free throws in the second half of this game. Obviously, Jordan Miller pitched a perfect game. 27 points on 7 out of 7 from the field. 13 out of 13 from the free throw line. And uh, Miller is a guy I've talked about for a long time. You know, you know a few months now. You know, everybody talks about the guards, and I'm not knocking the guards. Those guys are good. But to me, Jordan Miller is their best player, and he was obviously the best player on the floor yesterday. I don't think Texas was the same after Carr had the leg injuries. I know, I know he only missed a couple possessions, but uh, they got outscored 35-16 to 16 after Carr went down with that injury. I have no idea what the hell Rodney Terry was doing down the stretch of this game. They didn't call some timeouts, which seemed pretty obvious. Uh, to be, well, You should be calling a timeout now. And it's, they just had the wrong people shooting the ball. And they had one possession where Carr threw up a terrible shot, just a really bad shot selection. And I know Rodney Terry is now going to get a contract extension, which you know, probably could have gotten a long time ago. But based on what he did yesterday in the last few minutes of this game, it's pretty easy to make a case that maybe they should be looking at somebody else to be the head coach at the University of Texas. I thought he coached a horrendously bad game uh, down the stretch of this game yesterday. Well, you're definitely right that things didn't seem to, to go as smoothly once Carr got injured. He was definitely hobbled, even though he didn't really miss many possessions. He wasn't as explosive and was kind of uh, struggling sometimes getting up and down the court. Interesting year as well. Miami was just two of eight from behind the arc, but in general, just eight, three point attempts is kind of unheard of in today's basketball games uh texas though was 10 of 25 from behind the arc seven of which came in the first half which also contributed to the scoring that just stopped in the second half well miami was really smart they were you know they were in the penalty as i mentioned the double bonus with 10 minutes to go in the game and they shot 27 free throws in the second half, and they only missed two of those, and both of those two misses were right at the end of the game when they already had the game in hand. Well, we have a Final Four now. Florida Atlantic, SDSU, Miami, and UConn will get an early look into the Final Four with the numbers on the other side of the break. Dive into a little bit more as well on the odds board for the Final Four upcoming. We'll take your phone calls today around 10.30 and 11.15. The number as always to get involved is 602-260-1060. But an early look of the Final Four on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports.
KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Coming back to you here on KDUS AM 1060, it is the Extra Point. It's Monday. It's March 27th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's take an early look at the final four, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State University. Numbers come into you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You have Florida Atlantic plus one and a half, SDSU minus one and a half. The Owls have set the second most bench points in all of college basketball. The Owls, as Bob has rightly pointed out consistently now, certainly can rebound. Will that size eventually catch up? Because when San Diego State University is uh, rebounding the ball at the clip of 32 or more rebounds in a game, they are 23-0. and 0. Uh, San Diego State has held opponents under 17% from three this tournament, including that two of 17 performance from Creighton. Yeah, I don't need to steal the thunder here. I would be really surprised if I have any money on either of these games, at least at the start of the game on Saturday. Um, you know, I just don't like either matchup, quite frankly. Uh, but as far as uh, you, know, you bring up the rebounding thing, they're not going to out-rebound San Diego State, I don't think, uh, which is certainly a very physical team. And, you know, the Florida Atlantic depth against uh, other opponents has certainly helped them tremendously. Nobody has more you know, decent depth and you know, experienced depth, and that could be a big difference in this game eventually, but I'm not going to bet on it before the game. Uh, but San Diego State, they play nine guys, and seven of their guys are seniors. Florida Atlantic plays nine games, and one of those guys is a senior. Yeah, certainly. Uh, do you think that experience here is really helping propel San Diego State? It certainly helped. The experience mattered, but also I think the depth has really helped them. They face some teams that uh, don't have tremendous depth, and you know that's one thing they're not going to have an advantage here because Florida Atlantic has the depth. But you know, San Diego State, uh, they're uh, you know a veteran group that have been through a lot of things, and most of them have been at San Diego State for the majority of the time too, as opposed to the transfer portal and so forth. So. You know, they've gone through a lot together, and you know, they obviously had a lot of disappointments in uh, the NCAA tournament, having not won a game, uh, basically, with this group until now. And uh, they're in the, uh, they had never even made the Sweet 16 before, let alone the Final Four. To your point here about San Diego State and their defense as well, uh, they've been able to smother up some really prominent offenses in this tournament and then just overall though that some of those teams lacked that depth that you mentioned Florida Atlantic has that depth so is it really important for someone to be able to dominate this behind the arc situation is it going to be Florida Atlantic on the offensive side or San Diego State on the defensive side well there's no way I can really expect Florida Atlantic to you know dominate as far as making shots as I mentioned earlier the opponents for San Diego State so far in this tournament have made 16 of 94 from behind the arc. Let's move on to Miami and UConn. Miami plus five and a half, UConn minus five and a half. Numbers coming from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. As previously mentioned, UConn has won every game so far by at least 15 points in this NCAA tournament. Is the key here Jordan Hawkins and Joey Calcaterra hitting threes? Uh, in addition to that, Miami has four players that average 13 or more points per game. 
Yeah, I'm not sure what the key is. I wish, quite frankly, I wish that these, uh, that Florida Atlantic was, you know, I wish that Miami, Florida, and Connecticut weren't playing each other. Let's put it that way. I just wish the matchups were different. Uh, you know, I know that Billy Packer, for years, was thinking that they should reseed before they get to the Final Four, and I would be in complete agreement with that. If they were going to reseed this, I think that uh, – yeah, Miami of Florida and Connecticut would certainly be seated. Well, maybe San Diego State. I'm not sure what the the metrics people think are all screwed up on them, you know, because a lot of their numbers were from the Mountain West Conference, which I think had, you know, three offensive teams that were really good and then some horrendous teams on offense. And, uh, you know, almost everybody in that conference had great defensive stats because there weren't too many talented offensive players, quite frankly in the Mountain West Conference. But, uh, you know, to me, Miami, Florida, and Connecticut are the two best teams. And, you know, I've gotten in trouble saying this in past years in the Final Four, but that seems to me on a Saturday to be the real championship game of the NCAA tournament. Before I go back into Miami-UConn specifically here, uh, why do you think it, it makes for, like, why do you want it to be reseeded? Is it because, therefore, then the the opportunity to have the most optimal championship game on Monday? I just think that Miami, Florida, and Connecticut are better teams in Florida Atlantic than San Diego State. Uh, so, you know, Maybe I've got a problem with Florida Atlantic still, but, I mean, they've won games. They should have lost the first round of the tournament. Uh, that was, the, to me, the worst call of the NCAA tournament when they did not get uh, – when my Memphis did not get the obvious jump ball call, uh, and uh, Memphis then went out of their way to do a couple of stupid things in the last you know, 15 seconds or so of that game to lose it. But, yeah, Florida Atlantic could have been out in the first round – yeah, Connecticut was actually losing at halftime in the first round to Iona. Miami of Florida could have lost to Drake. And, uh, yeah, San Diego State could have lost a couple of games along the way. I guess that's the way the tournament works. But to me, you have Connecticut's the, number, the best team here. Miami's the second best team. And I'm not real sure who's the third best team between Florida Atlantic and San Diego State. So going back to this contest here, Miami-UConn for Miami, Omir, he's only 6'7", but he certainly plays bigger. What do you make about, you know, Miami's size and then, of course, Omir being uh, a key cog there? Well, he's the only guy that has any length whatsoever, and he's going against three Connecticut guys that are big. So kind of what we talked about a little bit on Friday before Connecticut and Gonzaga played. You know, Timmy and uh, you know, basically was you know kind of himself against uh, the three big guys from Connecticut. And Timmy had no chance of staying out of foul problems in that game, was not even that effective offensively when he was on the floor, quite frankly. Uh, so, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the, the Miami's going to have to beat Connecticut. If they beat Connecticut, they're going to have to beat him with perimeter play, play, and that's how they won the majority of their games. And, yeah, Miami, they kind of lost in the shuffle even yesterday. They don't play good defense. Even yesterday, they didn't play really good defense. And it just turned out to be a free-throw shooting contest because Texas got into massive foul problems. And Miami made almost all their free throws in the second half. They shot 29 of them in one half. And that's why they're still playing. So here are the current odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. UConn minus 125, San Diego State plus 360, Miami plus 490, and Florida Atlantic at plus 600. Yeah, I, I've never 
for a second thought about betting on something like this maybe ever in the final four uh so i'm gonna sorry i'm just gonna pass i would be really surprised if i have any money on any of these games in any shape or form this week or on saturday unless there's some kind of in-game betting Switching over to the women's NCAA tournament, Iowa women's basketball beat Louisville 97-83. to uh, Haley Von Lith, 27 points for Louisville. But the story of the tournament, the story of women's college basketball so far has been Caitlin Clark. She is on a whole other level. Clark, 41 points, 11 of 19 from the floor, 8 of 14 from 3, 10 rebounds, and 12 assists. It's just unbelievable. I think I saw something where this is the first ever uh, you know, triple double in an NCAA tournament in which 40 or more points have been scored. Uh, so Iowa has punched their ticket to the final four. LSU has punched their ticket to the final four. Maryland and South Carolina will play today, as well as Ohio State and Virginia Tech playing today, trying to punch their tickets to the final four. Interesting here, UConn missed the Elite Eight for the first time since 2005, and it's the second time ever, the first time since 1985, that UConn, Tennessee, and Stanford have not made a regional final. So across both the women's tournament and the men's tournament, you're seeing new blood, you're seeing new schools making an emergence here. Is that a good or bad thing? I'm guessing the television networks hate this. I can't imagine that the ratings from the two games, uh, the four games over the weekend and the two days are going to be very high. And I'm guessing that uh, network executives are just cringing at the Florida Atlantic San Diego State matchup. Well, let's uh, dive into a little bit about this on the other side of the break, but feel free to interrupt as well. 602-260-1060 is the number. 602-260-1060 if you want to chime in about what you saw uh, for the Elite Eight matchups, looking ahead to the Final Four, plenty of college hoops discussion and more. And then, of course, we'll have uh, some reaction a little bit later on as well to the world of the NFL. The owners' meetings are taking place here at the Biltmore uh, in is that technically Phoenix? I think it is technically Phoenix. It is. It is technically Phoenix. Well, I think it is. Pretty. That's a good question. I think it is. It now be. I've stumped myself. Uh, but everyone knows the Biltmore. Anyway, that's where the NFL yeah. owners' meetings are taking place here this week. I've been week. there before. 602-260-1060 is the number to join. We'll have much more on the other side. It is the extra point here on KDUS AM 1060. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Extra point here on KDOS AM 1060, the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports and as always online at KDOS1060.com. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll continue our college hoops conversation. Are you okay with no blue bloods in the NCAA Final Four? Uh, And do you think that the transfer portal has something to do with how this tournament has unfolded and how we have UConn, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, and Miami uh, in the Final Four? Um, First up, the blue blood part of this. um, 
I don't know where we kind of get this term blue blood. I guess Indiana's a blue blood and Yukon's not, even though Yukon's been much better for 30 years in Indiana. Uh, so I'm just, we're throwing out the 30 year thing as an example. I mean, you, you, Indiana hasn't won a game, an NCAA tournament championship since the late eighties and UConn has been in the final four a number of times and won championships since then. So I'm okay with that. I apologize. I just forgot the second part of that question. Uh, so when we look at, you know, how this is all unfolded, the final four being UConn, uh, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, no seed higher than a four seed mm. in the final four. Do we think that this maybe has something to do with the transfer portal, yeah, how this it. tournament Sorry. has unfolded and therefore um, why we have this final four? Absolutely. I think it has. Maybe not necessarily all these teams. Miami certainly has, you know, Pack was at Kansas State before this year, and he's made a huge difference for them in the backcourt, even though I guess it's not that big of a difference because they did reach the Elite Eight last year, and he didn't have the greatest game yesterday when they made it you know, one step further <laughs> past the, the you know, where they were a year ago. Uh, so we'll see, but yeah, you know, Connecticut, you know, it's, you know, kind of the same dudes. Uh, they brought in one shooter, the kid from San Diego, University of San Diego, and they definitely needed some shooters to uh, put around Sonogo. But yeah, you know, they also you know got two really talented freshmen. I think that's made I think that's made more of a difference than anything else. San Diego State has had a lot of the same guys for a while, and Florida Atlantic is just a, a lot of sophomores and freshmen. Uh, who have done a really an amazing job, and you know they uh, you know, they, they they both uh, San Diego State and uh, Florida Atlantic go nine deep. So this has been talked about for a while now, and it really does seem to be picking up some steam here that the NBA is. Uh, it's not really a, a if, it's more of a when they're going to allow high school kids to go straight to the NBA once again. So do you think that will impact blue blood programs and create more parity? Or, or how do you think that that will, uh, again, kind of alter what we've been seeing in college hoops here of late? I have no idea. Uh, I'd just be uh, an all-time guess. I, mean, I don't even know where to start the guessing. Uh, so I'm not sure. I would assume that uh, a lot of the blue bloods really wouldn't be as affected, but I'm just guessing at that. Like I said, I, I have no idea. I think it's a really good question, uh, which is, you know, usually when I have no idea, it's uh, hopefully a pretty good question or either that or I'm just completely oblivious to the, 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 the actual topic itself. When it comes to these four teams, Florida Atlantic, SDSU, Miami, UConn, they all have some intrigue about them, and they all have some interesting styles here. So it'll be, um, I guess you had mentioned as well, though, that probably the TV execs are not overly enthused about this. But So we'll see if there is maybe a larger drop-off or not, because this has been one of the most watched tournaments uh, so far to date. I'd be shocked if it was uh, anywhere near the last two days. I can't imagine these were ratings bonanzas. Um, so, you know, ho hopefully I'm wrong. And, uh, well, I don't really care whether I'm right or wrong about that. But if you're a television executive, hopefully I'm wrong. But, yeah, I can't imagine a lot of people were jumping out of their beds on Saturday or Sunday morning and saying, God, I can't wait till these games start. As opposed to, you know, certainly – you had more games to choose from before you got to the Elite Eight, but uh, 
you know, like I said, maybe I'm wrong about this entirely, but the fact that you, know, you had the Florida Atlantics and the Kansas States and San Diego State and Creighton and you know, basically, you know, Texas, that would have you know, that brought some viewership, I'm sure, against Miami. But I can't imagine, like I said, maybe I'm just totally wrong here, but I can't imagine these are ratings bonanzas the last two days. Many brackets were busted really early on in all of this, but just how improbable was it for these four teams, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, UConn, to all be representing in the final four? It came out to be a 1 in 125,000 chance that these four teams would be making it this far into the final four. 1 in 125,000 chance. Okay. Uh, Whoever figures that out, God bless them. All right, we will wrap up hour number one on the other side of the break. We'll get into WGC Dell Technologies match play. Also a little bit from the LPGA drive on from Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club. Low, low scoring took place. In addition to that, we're just uh, two Mondays away from the start of Masters Week. There is a PGA Tour event going on this week, the Valero Texas Open. Still your last opportunity to punch your ticket to Augusta. You have to win the whole tournament if you aren't already eligible. So we'll dive into a little bit about golf on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Wrapping up hour number one of Extra Point on this Monday, March 27th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Look at the WGC Dell Technologies match play. Bob, as we had uh, gone and left everything on Friday, my hope was that we were going to have an uh, all-me final with Patrick Cantlay and Cameron Young. Patrick Cantlay didn't live up to his end of the bargain, but Cameron Young did. Uh, Lucky for us, though, we made the smart move and we hedged our bet uh, because Sam Burns ended up defeating Cameron Young in the final. We had Cameron Young pre-tournament, hedged out of that, and and bet Sam Burns, who ended up dominating it, 6-5. And and Cam Young is now still looking for his first PGA Tour win. But the news of uh, Cam Young getting a new caddy, Paul Tesori, old uh, Webb Simpson's caddy, was kind of one of the reasons why I was drawn to Cam young that the talent is all there he hits the ball a mile uh hits it really well but there's just maybe some decision making that was a little bit off previously and i thought that having such an experienced and good caddy as paul desori would certainly really help change the thought process and change the mindset of cam young and sometimes we see that uh take shape just in in the very first week of working together they almost were able to get it done uh but in order to 
make it into the final. Cam Young had to take down Rory McIlroy, which went into extra holes. Sam Burns had to take down Scotty Scheffler, which also went into extra holes. So all of this combined is a lot of golf with a week off here for these big stars ahead of Augusta National. The consolation match, as I mentioned, was with Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy, with Rory ended up winning that one two and one. For Rory, he switched putters this week. He went back to a replica that looked like the putters that he won his first two major championships with. Uh, and it, I, we're not going to get metrics from this week just because uh, in, in match play, you oftentimes can give people putts, etc. So you're not always holding everything out. But just from the eye test, Rory seemed to be more confident with his stroke. He seemed to be making more putts. Uh, so certainly with that in mind, Maybe Rory is somebody we have to start paying attention to heading to Augusta. For me, though, with Rory, when we're looking ahead to to the Masters, there is something mental there with him. Uh, And it probably all goes back to the time that we had no idea that there were cabins so far left on 10 because he hit his ball so far left there and ended up not winning winning the tournament. He had the lead going into the back nine on Sunday and uh, didn't get it done. But now we know there are some secret cabins over there on hole number 10. Anyway, though. Uh, I know you heard these spots, Bob. I I know you heard them, so I'm wondering, did it strike you in the feels like it did for me that the Augusta National spots for the Masters were playing all NCAA tournament long? And I don't know, this just past weekend, it really struck different because we're almost here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any more than usual as far as they're pumping it up a couple weeks away during the NCAA tournament. It seems like... About every other uh, free throw is uh, some kind of master's spot. I might be exaggerating a little bit there, but I uh, think that's uh, kind of what it's been before, I think. Yeah, no, it's definitely been that. Uh, and it's been all tournament long, but just this past weekend, it was just, I guess, the sun was shining. Uh, you have the late afternoon set, and you just get to thinking, okay, we're almost here. We're just two weeks away from yep. Augusta National. Um When it comes to this week, as I mentioned, the Valero Texas Open, it's the last chance to make it into Augusta by winning the tournament. We'll we'll figure it all out. We'll see what we're going to do. But after we had a successful week, we have some things going for the Masters. We'll probably pare it back just a little bit for the Valero Texas Open, but we'll certainly dive into all of that in Wednesday's show. On the LPGA Tour, you had Celine Boutier outlasting Georgia Hall in a playoff to win the LPGA drive-on from Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club. And the scores were unbelievably low. The winner here, uh, both Celine Boutier and Georgia Hall, shot 20 under par. That is golfing your ball for sure. And uh, as I mentioned, Celine Boutier came out on top in that uh, first playoff hole over Georgia Hall. But some of the other bigger names, world number one, Nellie Corda, uh, she was nine. This is just how deep this field was this week. Nellie Corda finished nine under par for the week. That was tied for 57th. It was just an absolute birdie fest out there. Uh, And and so it was uh, fun to watch. And just in general, I hope that there is a sponsor in the future for this tournament to be able to come back. It's kind of a shame that Phoenix has not been able to support 
an LPGA event for quite some time. Uh, this event used to be an absolute blast for me as a, as a young kid growing up. Um, I, it was the standard register ping out at Moon Valley Country Club. It was always the week of my spring break, so I got to go out there all, all day, all week long. Bob, I saw Annika Sorenstam shoot 59. Um, so when you're kind of looking up to, to people of who you want to emulate your game after, how you want to see certain players in action, it was a lot of fun. And it's just kind of a bummer that it's moved around a couple of different times. Uh, after Moon Valley, it went to um, uh, the – I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. I even played there too, um, and I can even envision it. So uh, it was the the – Palmer course and the Faldo course and uh, uh, oh, I'll have to look it up in the break here but uh, the LPGA Tour uh, then ended up going to Papago as well. Superstition Mountain had a stint and so it's back here this year so hopefully they can find a sponsor to be able to have this event uh, for a long time to come. So we'll certainly keep an eye on all of that though but right now we have the opportunity for the baseball season to be here. The Dodgers are facing uh, the Diamondbacks at Chase Field April 6th through 9th. It's the opening weekend series. It will be a busy weekend with an opening day street festival on Thursday, April 6th. Post-game fireworks on Friday, April 7th. You can kick off the new season and secure your tickets at dbacks.com slash tickets. Caller number 3, 602-260-1060. 602-260-1060 is the number. Caller number 3 for a pair of tickets to Thursday, April 6th contest. 602-260-1060 is the number. And I, it just came to me. Desert Ridge is the name of the golf course that I was thinking of. Desert Ridge used to host the event for some time as well for the LPGA Tour. But 602-260-1060, and we'll get into hour number two on the other side of the break.